Welcome, this is Dirt to Dollars, hosted by your local county extension agents, where we talk everything agriculture. All right, well, welcome back to Dirt to Dollars. This is the week of April the 20th, and we have lots of good things to come today. Uh, first off, if you aren't following following us on Twitter yet, please do that at Dirt211. Um, also, want to wish one of our podcast hosts a happy birthday. Yesterday was Daniel's birthday. Yeah, so. thank you. You don't have yeah. to sing. Don't say <laughs> we would. We would if this wasn't on the radio yeah, later yeah. on. I'm yeah. Sure. So uh, once again, we have with us today Daniel Carpenter from Larue County um, Agriculture Agent and Matt Adams in Hardin County, and we also have a special guest with us today, and this is Adam Andrews. He's the programs director for Kentucky Corn Growers Association. So we're glad you could be with us today, Adam. Oh, thanks, Whitney, for having me. This sounds like a great fun thing. All right. So first, every question I ask, or the first question I ask any kind of host that we have is kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the role that you're in today. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm a native Tennessean. Um, went to uh, University of Tennessee for a business degree, an agriculture business degree. We won't hold that about, against you. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> I love all the blue that you're wearing. Um, <laughs> uh, in Knoxville as well. But um, uh, my first job out of college was at Kentucky Farm Bureau. Um, I had a close relationship with Tennessee Farm Bureau, and uh, that morphed into some friendships um, over in um, uh, Bunsen Ave, Bunsen Parkway. And um, uh, the folks at Kentucky Farm Bureau about 20 years ago um, took a risk to bring me up to Louisville, and I've been essentially been here ever since. I stayed at Farm Bureau for about four years, um, sold insurance for Tennessee Farm Bureau for just a short period of time, and then just missed agriculture too much. So I, I came back to Kentucky, had made a friendship with. Todd Barlow at uh, Kentucky Corn Growers Association while Kentucky Corn was headquartered at Kentucky Farm Bureau's offices um, a couple decades ago. And um, Todd had an opening, uh, brought me in, and I've been here for about 14 or 15 years uh, since. So uh, it's been a fun, fun ride. Uh, I handle a lot of things. There's only two people on staff at Kentucky Corn Growers. There's my boss and myself, and we, we have a fantastic communications contractor, and we've got a great bookkeeper that, that kind of keeps us organized. But as far as bouncing issues off of each other, Laura Nope and I pretty much handle the gamut. I handle a lot of the get grassroots mobilization and the um, – uh, membership um, uh, programs and market development. I, I entirely, almost entirely handle market development, which is ethanol, uh, primarily ethanol issues. She and I uh, kick the policy issues back and forth a lot. I handle a lot of the policy uh, for water quality and environmental quality uh, and, and ethanol. And then she handles a lot of the farm policy, loans, um, things like that. Anytime a farm bill comes on, you'd probably take her as a as a guest for uh, for RFA and RVO issues, um, uh, RFS and RVO issues. That's probably uh, probably in my wheelhouse. Although Laura and Kentucky Corn Growers does still have hold a seat on the um, um, Commonwealth Agri-Energy Board, and Laura fills that seat, and it really gives her a good deep dive into uh, into ethanol issues as well. Well, Matt, I know you've got lots of questions, Daniel. You guys have probably more grain in your counties than I do. So I'm gonna let you all take it off. All right. Uh, just to start out here, Adam, uh, if you could just go on, we've got some major eth or major issues in the ethanol industry right now. Could you give us a little bit of a background of what's going on there and uh, with all what 
what impacts the uh, coronavirus has had on on the ethanol industry. Sure. Yeah. I mean, ethanol is obviously very closely linked to gasoline consumption. Um, gasoline consumption has fallen 46 percent since uh, COVID-19 issues, uh, shelter in place and healthy at home initiatives have started. Um, that has, um, well, this is, this is Tuesday, uh, the 21st. And I think the Dow opened, um, uh, down about 500 points, uh, because the oil market, the brand crude oil market crashed to sub-zero levels. So, uh, that in a nutshell tells you the, the hardships that, um, that, that gasoline, uh, that, that the energy markets are showing. Uh, ethanol has, uh, over this point last year, is, is off about 46%. Um, when that is uh, more than a third of the corn utilization nationally, that's a big number uh, for us. It's going to impact uh, corn futures. It's going to impact our issues very significantly. We've supply chain issues all through the agriculture, commodities, and processing industries from strawberries to, uh, to, to beef, to pork, to, to all of the users of corn, strawberries not being one of those, but it is a, uh, it is a very time sensitive, um, uh, type of type of issue, uh, hopefully relatively short lived, uh, as far as the fuel markets are concerned, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, a couple other states, Alabama, um, started to announce some opening back up the economy, relaxation of the shelter in place and home initiatives, things like that. Once the cars get moving again, then, then, um, then fuel will start flowing again. We don't know. The jury's still out on whether some of these ethanol plants that have shut down, um, will come back, uh, as strongly as they did. They, they, um, um, they've been doing some other things like, like hand sanitizers and things like that. But the distilling industry, bourbon distilling industry, has jumped into that market as well. It's not, it's not a savior to the issue at all. But, but it is, uh, it's a great PR issue for for the ethanol plant, but like the communities, things like that. But as far as fulfilling you know, fuel demand, uh, it, it's not going to, but yeah, I know at a local distillery here in uh, Radcliffe and they were doing a hand sanitizer, um, sale and they were lined up right. back the all the way, way down Dixie highway. I mean, yeah. they were lined up deep. Um, so yeah, that's, I think it's a big PR thing, but it's something that people need too, but it's probably not going to change anything, uh, for them, you know, long-term, it's not going to be a solution to anything. Well, and you had mentioned off air too, that the FDA had re had, taken back some restrictions, but you, you were saying this morning that they've maybe be, maybe increased them as well. Back yeah, to well where they, they, were. they relaxed them a couple of weeks ago to allow uh, these types of uh, projects to go forward and then kind of reneged on that um, or hinted that they will renege on that late last week, which is frustrating. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty simple molecule. <laughs> ethanol. Yeah, it is. <laughs> There's not much complicated about it. And, and it, and it, and it's that purpose of having a hand sanitizer is it zaps, it, it zaps anything bad uh, that, that can be transmitted through it. So it's frustrating. Hopefully they'll come to their senses and industry can, can, can educate FDA to, uh, to, to, to where they need to be, um, uh, where they need to be on it. Uh, but, it, but at the end of the day, it's not a, you know, it's, it's not a savior to the industry. Um, sure. it, it's a great way to, to, to keep the plant moving. And, uh, you know, this, this really hasn't just been COVID-19 that's rocked the ethanol and the fuel industry. The Saudi Arabia and Russian oil uh, price wars uh, started mm-hmm. the free fall 
for ethanol, it was started back in um, uh, late last year with uh, refinery exemptions, and um, you know that that had um, that had closed a lot of plants uh, throughout the Corn Belt. Now you talked about uh, small refinery exemptions. There uh, wasn't there a little bit of a win uh, just kind of right before all this COVID-19 stuff broke loose? Did- there, there was. So um, a collection of, of, uh, of ethanol organizations, uh, Farmers Union included in that, corn growers included in that, and then RFA, uh, Renewable Fuels Association, American Coalition for Ethanol, um, a, handful of, um, a handful of organizations sued EPA for – uh, their lack of transparency uh, in in the uh, in small exemptions, particularly on three or four, they picked three or four cases. It was about a year and a half long court battle, but the court sided with the uh, associations, not the refineries. Uh, the Trump administration or EPA decided uh, that there was a, there was a question that they might uh, appeal, and that kind of rocked the markets a little bit again. Uh, it wasn't going to do anything, but. But, but allow more money to go to lawyers and and delay the certainty that the that the that the court ruling would was was intended to place back into the market. Uh, but election politics come into it, you know, Texas and and oil states um, right. uh, seemed uh, uh, were suggested to need to be a little bit bluer uh, than um, than some of the corn states, some of the some of the agriculture states, and and you know that the, the um, a, a theory is that it, that that help needed to be given to those states rather than agriculture. But um, we're, we're proud that the, uh, the, the Trump administration and EPA uh, handled, uh, handled the issue the way we thought that it should be handled, ultimately. Uh, that didn't put those gallons back into the market, though. Uh, there's still right. some apportionment and things like that. There's another court battle, um, another part of the ruling that was really only equated to about 500 million gallons. Uh, out of a 15 billion gallon industry, that's not uh, a ton, but um, it did re- require that to be uh, placed back into the market to be to be divvied back out to the other refiners. The the, the real bit, the real issue at hand was if you place uh, an exemption on small refinery, do you take those gallons that you exempted and place them back into the industry? So for the 2022, 2021, 2022 renewable volumetric obligations or the the obligations that the refiners are, are, are that the RFS places on the refiners to uh, blend ethanol. We feel like uh, the administration now has clear guidance that they will reapportion those gallons back into the economy and back into the into the market. That's the big win, but the the, the value of that win won't really be felt until the next uh, marketing year. Do, do you think the demand destruction we've done in the last few weeks? Do they put any of that in jeopardy going? going forward i mean i know i'm kind of putting you on the spot oh, yes. that question. <laughs> yeah that's not, i mean the uh there there were a handful of governors that, that that solicited epa to do a way to do a do a moratorium on the renewable fuels uh, standards so if i don't think that they would do that uh but if they do then that's going to take you know that could take our the supply chain already has you know uh ethanol pushing through the supply chain. But unfortunately right now the, the, the economics are not balanced for ethanol the way the, uh, the, the way the, the, the history has, has, has provided or, or has, has, has proved uh, ethanol is quite a bit more expensive than, than gasoline right now. Uh, it's 
Right. The first time that that's been the case in about 30 years. And once things balance back out, get, get recalibrated, then, then, then that won't be the case again. We won't be dealing with this. I mean, it just takes less to make ethanol than it does to make gasoline. So uh, the prices will straighten back out. But at this point, we are with an oil glut, and that's, um, that will change refining decisions uh, if that requirement uh, which, which in general is why the RFS was created to begin with. Uh, but um, uh, if that requirement were removed, then uh, then yes, it would. It could essentially take uh, ethanol production down to zero. Right. So with, you, with you mentioned economics. I don't want that to infer. Right. 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 Without the RFS, ethanol would be zero. With these economics ethanol would be zero. The RFS essentially was intended to require refiners to use the economy to, 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 to blend this, even with it being cheaper. They've proved over the last few decades that refiners have proved over the last few decades that even if their product is more expensive, they would use their product as opposed to somebody else's. RFS was, was created partly as a way to create a, um, um, to create demand uh, so that so, so to create supply so that that it could be that economies of scale could take place and and uh, and and create its own demand. All right. So it, you mentioned uh, Commonwealth Agri Energy in uh, in the Hopkinsville area earlier. Any word on how they're doing through all this? Have they changed anything or? Well. Or- yeah, they. Uh, as, as far as I know, they haven't. They haven't throttled production. Hopkinsville Agri, Agri- Energy supplies the Nashville markets oxygenate. So, with um, you, you've heard of reformulated gasoline, Hopkinsville Ag- Agri Energy kind of uh, produces the ethanol that allows the oxygenate for the Nashville market to meet its reformulated uh, requirements. So, even if the RFS were um, Placed a moratorium on, or something like that. Placed a moratorium on it, then those those reformulation requirements, real those air quality requirements, still wouldn't be restricted. So uh, they'd still have to blend, and they'd probably buy from Hopkinsville. Uh, right. Hopkinsville is a relatively small plant. Uh, it's a very well run plant down there. Uh, patrons coming from as far mm-hmm. as Eastern Kentucky, uh, Somerset area, Shepherd, uh, Shelbyville area uh, are, are going all the way over there. So uh, a lot of the grain farmers in your area, I'm sure I know, yeah. deliver to, to CAE. It's um, 33, it was th- three or four years ago, it's 33 million gallon facility. Now it's a 65 million gallon facility. This is their, the, the difficult thing for them is they're hitting uh, this rough patch and ethanol production and ethanol economy in the middle of a, you know, of an expansion of doubling expansion. As I know, as far as I know right now, they haven't laid anybody off. They haven't shut shifts down or anything like that. And they are making hand hand sanitizer. Uh, We talked a little bit about that offline and and earlier in the podcast, but they, uh, um, they were quick into that market and um, created a lot of new relationships. Uh, Fort Campbell actually reached out to them um, at the onset of uh, COVID-19 issues and just said, you know, our, our, our front gate has got to have hand sanitizer. We've got to, you know, we've got to keep our people healthy inside the base. So they reached out to them for some, uh, um, really before hand sanitizer was cool to, and, uh, to, to, to supply them with some and, um, allowed them to go through the motions and get the proper permits and permissions from FDA. So they were a little bit quick to the game compared to, um, compared to the, the other people that, that jumped into that industry, but so, making uh, money. I know, I, I, as, <laughs> I know uh, as far as I understand, they're not, 
they you know their 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 balance sheet is going to be off. I, I would right. expect um, um, at the next annual meeting. So uh, they should still be open. <laughs> We, we mentioned a little earlier about a kind of relationship that's been hard on the livestock markets as well. One of the key byproducts from ethanol and, and the distillery industry, uh, both is distill, distiller's grains, both dry or wet or whatever. Uh, I know that's been a big deal on the cattle side that we've lost a lot of those distiller's grains in the last few weeks. Uh, you know, we the livestock industry has... Uh, has grown to become pretty dependent on those distillers grains. Can you speak to that any, uh, uh as far as not, supplies and whatnot? Uh, not, not very, not in very big detail. I know, um, CAE sends their ethanol plant, um, distillers grains mainly to the poultry industry through a, uh, through a broker. But, um, I, I haven't been familiar if, if, if you're talking about the, the, feedlots out west or um you know throughout the um the the, the truer parts of the midwest that uh, right. uh that have been dealing with those issues as i understand it a lot of the ddgs that come into kentucky's market comes from the distilling into the bourbon distilling right. industry ah. and bourbon consumption hasn't dropped i don't think <laughs> it's probably <laughs> gone up <laughs> it's still, cons- still essential <laughs> I have stopped driving, but I have have not uh, slowed down my bourbon intake. Uh, well, that's good. You're supposed to do both of those. <laughs> yeah, they, they are supposed to. Have, they are supposed to have inverse relationships, uh, and, um, and 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 from my from where I'm concerned that that, that they have. But uh, I, we haven't heard that cry from from livestock producers here that they're having a hard time uh, finding uh, DD. Well. And I think that a little bit of that, too, is the fact that they are going out on grass. So we're needing a little bit less of that supplement. So I think this kind of came at a not a good time, not but an opportune time, time, you know. Right. So, but yeah. And like you said, <laughs> right. Adam, I'm seeing more from people I talk to out west in feedlot country and see stuff on Twitter, follow some people on Twitter that feed cattle out west uh, and you know, talking about contracted loads, the ethanol plant calling up and saying, hey, you've got. 30 loads of DDGs contracted for the next three months. If you're not here by five o'clock tomorrow, you're not going to get them. Yeah. Uh, kind of that kind of wow. stuff. And that's a tough call to yeah. make when you, right. when, when, when you've got the supply chain interrupted the way it is and in, right. in the cattle industry. Right. So, uh, um, you know, and I, and I, I don't have a, a read on how uh, the long-term effects of this will be um, with plant closures. And, you know, we, we do know that, a lot of these plants, um, some of these plants won't come back. Um, um, uh, but, um, you know, how that affects the DDG's industry. I mean, I, I know, you know, DDG's co-product has been um, as important to the ethanol plant as it is the ethanol itself. And right. I do, and I do know mm-hmm. that it's a very, very important component of the, of the feeding industry. So um, that, um, you know, it, but, but an ethanol plant can't make it on DDG's production. <laughs> It's it's as important, but 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 they've got to be sending fuel out. Americans got to be burning fuel, or you know, I, I'm really interested in what this is going to do to the export industry, the the, the yeah. ethanol export industry, particularly in DDG's industry. The big elephant mm-hmm. in the room. Yeah, we, it sounds like we can like. bridle DDG's exports and and retain some of those here, um, and then we can mm-hmm. if we don't get our cars moving, then we can you know we can export. Uh, we're, we're ex, you know 
export export of ethanol is really one of the for the last three or four years has been identified as one of the brightest spots and brightest opportunities for the industry to begin with. Anyway, uh, you've got um, other places throughout the world that are either flattened the curve and and economies are starting to open back up again that 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 we can move um, we can move that uh, product around. But you know you're still competing with gasoline that's abnormally low. Um, and mm-hmm. it's easy for a country to, you know, air restrictions largely drive ethanol demand. Uh, it's not RFSs. It's not, um, you know, it's generally not prices, uh, things like that. It's, it's economies and countries that want cleaner liquid fuel and ethanol is a really, really good solution to that. And, you know, it's easy for those in, in, in short term issues, it's easy for those to be reprioritized. And if that's the case, then, then, um, that's not a good thing for ethanol either. All right. Well, let's take a break about talking about exports and imports and ethanol and fuel and all this crazy stuff going on right now. Um, so I'm I'm a past core participant um, that the Kentucky Corn Growers puts on, and um, Adam, would you would you mind to share a little bit about what the core farmer program is, and uh, maybe what's going on with that program right now? Yeah, we're proud of that program. It's uh, about uh, twelve years old. Uh, it's graduated four classes. We're in the fifth class right now. It's it's really our solution to a leadership program, although it has nothing to do with leadership. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, we did not want to compete with the CALP program with Philip Morris, the old Philip Morris program that the old Philip Morris program that, um, um <laughs> sorry, I had to give the Heisman there to my wife. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, the, the, the university of Kentucky, um, uh, administers now or the Farm Bureau lead program, things like that. There were the Cattlemen's have got a great leadership program. There was, there was a host of great leadership programs out there. Um, but our board wanted us to create something to generate uh, interest in the organization and introduce young folk, uh, uh, beginning farmers to the, to the organization. So we kind of came up with, um, it's almost like a bait and switch. Um, it's very, it's, it's entirely focused on um, uh, agronomy and farm business management. Um, uh, particularly to corn, although we, we do venture into other crops um, uh, from the agronomy perspective, education component, uh, we, we venture into other crops, other, other row crops. But um, uh, it's a two-year program. Um, we enroll about every third year. Um, we're in the first year of class five, so we'll be probably enrolling in 2022, you know, early 2022. But two-year program that uh, has about eight learning sessions focused on agronomic and farm business management. So farm profitability, the, the acronym for the program is crop observation and research education. So it's, it, it was kind of prefaced on, on um, being more observant uh, on your own farm, creating your own uh, experiments and, and, and things like that. And, and after a couple of classes into it, um, the, the graduates really, you know, uh, gave strong signals that, Hey, we need budgeting and, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, grain handling lessons and things like that. Human so, resources and things like that. I mean, those are, those are big topics that a lot of young farmers struggle with. Yeah. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's turned into more of a, instead of a, an agronomy program into a farm profitability, particularly grain farm, farm profitability program. And, uh, we stay away from policy. Uh, we stay away from how to talk to your congressman and how to 
deal with the media and those things that typical leadership programs will um, uh, w- w- would have in their curriculum. Um, and we talk about nutrient management and water management and water quality management and just like you said, you know, uh, human resources and 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 uh, farm how to build a farm budget, things like that. It's we 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 uh, we uh, um, uh, we administer it. I think entirely through University of Kentucky's uh, help. Um, it's it's we work very very closely with every aspect of the curriculum uh, with. Um, um, with Chad Lee, my wife just texted me. She said she pushed the on-air button outside my office. That was- <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, maybe that's something we can segue into here real quick. So we're on Zoom, right? And we saw, you know, your wife walked in the back yeah. door back there. We saw her and you gave her the Heisman. So um, a lot of people that we deal with on Zoom have these like little backgrounds that hide <laughs> what's going yeah. on behind them. But I embrace what's going on behind me. I've got you know, my Sports Illustrated covers and my Cash Daniel football poster in the background. Um, Cash, yeah, yeah, bring it to me. <laughs> he's right? saying bring it. Um, <laughs> what, what's bring going it. on in the background there? You were showing off some stuff because uh, you're you're a pretty avid duck hunter. I think I saw, was there a duck flying on the wall? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm down in my, my dungeon. Corn actually works from offices, from our, from our home offices. So um, uh, that hasn't, hasn't really been difficult for us to transition and all, and all this uh, shelter in place from a professional standpoint with us. But now I've got uh, uh, ducks kind of dropping in behind me. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really focused or really, really big on dog training as well, retriever training. Oh. I've got some um, some some accomplishments from some of my uh, better dogs um, hanging behind me as well. Um, some maps. I, I, I hunt a lot of public ground in in um, a neighboring state, and um, it's I've, I've, I've just as close to my computer screen as is a map uh, to me, and in the sight line is a map of uh, uh, some water management areas or some wildlife management areas, so I can remember exactly where I hunted on December seventeenth and January third and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> that cold. <laughs> that's a true hunter right there. He's yes. not even going to give away the state that he's hunting in because he's not going <laughs> to yeah, risk somebody even, stealing his spot. No, he didn't even <laughs> mention it. Neighbor, neighbor, of the state of Kentucky, and actually, I lied. It's not even a neighboring state. <laughs> <laughs> so do you since you duck hunt do you do any other sort of hunting we have turkey season in full swing which my family they that's kind of their fun season so that's what we're yeah, doing was, throughout the weekend i used and to stuff. love to turkey hunt and and i would again i've got some really good opportunities just you know with the farmers that i know um around the state mm-hmm. uh to to be invited down to some farms and things like that but it really does compete with dog training season so um you know rather than scouting and you know being a dad uh i've got a six-year-old uh turning seven tomorrow actually and um happy birthday um, uh you know it's 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 um it's cheaper than or it's it's to have two hobbies it's probably cheaper to to not be divorced um <laughs> i can understand that yeah <laughs> uh, my turkeys for the for the dogs but it's this is all you know once things open back up the Field trial season will open up for, for retrievers, and, and it's prime time to be training right now. So It seems like a popular thing. Yeah, I know a lot of people that train dogs and are very successful at it. So, fun times. All right, I have a question for you. Sure. Uh, when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? What it was, he wanted to work for Kentucky Corn. That was his <laughs> That's it, all it, he's it, ever wanted to do. I wish I could say I wanted to farm, but I never really got um, exposure. My, you know, dad would 
dad had a job in town and he would bush hog instead of golfing to uh, <laughs> yeah. therapy and things like that. So we always had some animals around and, and uh, something going on. We had a, discipl- had a tobacco patch for disciplinary purposes uh, for <laughs> yep. years, um, but um, never really got the opportunity to, 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 to want a farm, which is where I, I think probably a lot of the interviewees that you all uh, have. But I was big into football up until about uh, my junior or so year in college in high school and uh i kind of transitioned into high school rodeo uh from from that point but uh but yeah when i was uh, when i was running around it was it was throwing a football to myself and imagining myself in uh in cowboy stadium and stuff like that well i you know the heisman you, you did the heisman while ago and it was it was pretty good i mean it looked like you had experience yeah yeah Yep. Well, I played on the other side of the ball, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was a linebacker. I was a very small inside linebacker, uh, which I guess is, uh, you know, uh, uh, I was maybe more tougher than most 10-year-olds, I guess. I don't know. But uh, I parlayed my football career into a bull riding career. So. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I was just jokingly going to ask if you were a bull rider when you said the rodeo thing. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I said didn't tough, not smart. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's a song, Gotta Be Dumb, You Gotta Be Tough, right? Is that, you know. No. Bull riding's an interesting sport, and it's it's fun to watch. So, I, how many broken bones, not, if I may not ask? Not many. I, I broke my, my ribs a few times um, and some fingers. I had, a, had one uh, bad trip uh, where I, um, I kind of got, call it jerked down and Mm-hmm. Messed my face up a little bit, but kept all my teeth and uh, my nose eventually straightened back out. Uh, <laughs> I had to kind of get out of uh, bull riding right when I was getting finished with college. I got to a point where I had to either take school seriously and graduate or take bull riding seriously. And um, Mike could have made a living either way, but this has been a much easier trip. I, um, I remember the last the last bull I got on, I had to uh, – uh, he bucked straight down the pin, uh, turned left, and I came off. It was just an easy jumping kick bull. Came off into the only mud puddle in the arena. Didn't have any gas money to get home. Didn't have a chance to oh, close. No. Had to wear a rubber rain suit home and and um, and <laughs> borrow money from the gate on the way out. Ten dollar bill so I could get home. And uh, I, I got about halfway home and realized I left my 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 rigging bag at the uh, you know hanging in the um, in the bullpens and thought you know i'm just gonna leave it going home i don't have the gas to get back anyway so i left it and that was the last that was the last of it it ended it ended pretty abruptly you didn't even have a chance to do your wayne frost no no I farewell <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're glad that you ended up working for Kentucky Corn and uh, and working with our corn growers across the state. And uh, we want to thank you for for joining us uh, on the podcast. And hopefully, we can have you on again sometime soon. Yes, absolutely. It's been fun, and uh, this is a great thing that you guys do. Looking forward to to hearing more of them. All right. Well, thanks again, Adam. Thanks. Take care. Thanks, Adam. See ya. All right. So yeah, that was good from, from Adam Andrews to come join us. Um, but you know, we finished off there talking to him about what we wanted to do. Uh, when we were children, and uh, I may be doing a spoiler alert for what our program may be for next week, but I wanted to be a weatherman. Oh, I could see that's that. Cool. And, yeah. I, and, I, and you all could probably tell by my extension post, a lot of them are tied in with the weather and looking at details, but I did want to be a weatherman. I also wanted to be an engineer, and I liked reading popular mechanics magazines and was kind of that kind of nerd for huh. a while, but I'm awful at math. 
<laughs> so once I figured out how many years of calculus I was going to have to take in college, that was not happening. Um, so did you like have down that? That's the thing that always threw me off on weatherman. How do they know where they're pointing to on the screen? They have a green screen. They dot. have a, a screen in front of them. Yeah. Like right confusing off. to be looking at yourself and trying to point at something. Yeah. Have you ever been in a new stu- studio? No, I haven't. And I didn't really want to <laughs> yeah. be that like a weatherman. I just like yeah. the weather. Like whenever Twister came out, yeah. I was all about like tornado oh, yeah. chasing. And that was, that was, I love that movie. I well, still I'll, like that movie, even I'll though it's, the better. graphics are awful. And like, it would not even be <laughs> a good movie to like come out now. We'd be like, what is this? Is this made for TV? But it, Listen, was, I, it was awesome. I would watch it now if it came on today. So I, I would blame too. You. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually will do one better. I wanted to be an astronaut or an astronomer. So mm. Yeah, I actually wanted to do that. I subscribed to Astronomy Magazine as a kid and was had a telescope and would do all that kind of fun stuff. But you're right, the math is a lot. So. Yeah, keep the math to a minimum. Yeah. Mine's boring. <laughs> I always wanted to be a farmer. Hey, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Of course you did. <laughs> you could have at least said bore at her. Uh, I'm not as cool as Adam Andrews. So. Uh, none of us are. <laughs> well, what else do we have to talk about today? Uh, anybody seen any freeze damage? I know last week we had a freeze and they told us, especially on wheat and some of those crops, that we needed to wait a few days to kind of determine what's going yeah, on. Yeah, well, with and it. then to kind of date the show again, and we're doing this on April 21st, and this is probably the first you know, after five or six days of growing right. weather since the freeze is when stuff's really going to start to show up. Mm-hmm. I'm sure throughout this week we'll be, we'll be seeing some, I don't, I don't know here in central Kentucky. I don't know how far along our wheat was. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if much of it was in the boot or not. I don't think uh, a lot of most, it was. Uh, a lot of it was. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, and we'll if you, see. and if you Especially look at any it, wheat that's been pushed very hard, it was. In yeah. The, and some of it was cause they had opportunity to get out yeah. and, and get the fertilizer to it. And yeah. So we'll, yeah, we'll look at those heads to and see I, if they're white. I still say that this is going to be pretty localized. You might have even right. producer to producer. You might have one farm that has mm-hmm. significant damage and go down the road and it's not going to be anything. Because we yeah. were right on the line, right? On if we were going to have damage or not. So. Yeah, I had some that had some alfalfa damage. I'm using that in quotations. I think it'll probably come out of it. So yeah, I think all our legumes and stuff will will pop back mm-hmm. out of it. One thing that I noticed that was pretty interesting. Uh, have you all noticed any of the poison hemlock on the in fence rows and stuff? It bit it. I don't like, have any it. in my fence rows. So well, I don't have any in my fence rows either. <laughs> but I get out and drive a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it has been zapped. I am going to do some scouting this week just to see how many acres have been planted and kind of go from there. Because I do know that since we've had the warm, nice weather, we're getting a lot of it done. I don't know if that'll be a blessing or a curse in the long run. <laughs> a lot of beans in the ground. I was talking mm-hmm. with a seed salesman in western Kentucky uh, right before we started recording here and he was saying they can't keep up getting beans treated and out to people they were just slamming beans in the ground out there and i know there's been a lot in the ground here too. something that's kind of kind of caught some traction the last couple of years is this early bean planting thing and it seems like everybody jumped on it this year well and i think there was some research that was done with uk i know i've read a couple of different articles saying that you know is there a yield bump when you do plant on mid-april but I don't know who's to tell. I think it's real dependent on a lot of factors. So 
you can't really determine for sure until later on. And either way, corner beans both. I think it's important to remember we need to be waiting and going when conditions are right. And it, right. it's hard to, it's easy to sit here and say that and harder to do when everybody else is running. And, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, there's a lot of planners running, you know, over the weekend some and yesterday and today and hearing a lot of guys saying that it's still a little heavy, a little wet out there. Now, that, being said i may try and drop my own planter in the ground this afternoon so <laughs> well we've got uh, some rain of, coming so one of those things that you it's easy to say not to go but it's uh it's hard to hard to keep from it especially just to make sure everything's ready to go and and uh once the weather does break and we do do get some some really good dry days here yeah your later. helper looked to be helping you this weekend get that planter ready oh yeah she's all about it <laughs> All right, so do y'all know what the word Zoom bomb means? <laughs> I didn't yeah, until last week. <laughs> yeah, so with all these Zoom meetings going on, that's kind of a thing where they the meetings get hacked and people mm-hmm. act out and um, try to take over the meeting and are disruptive. More ways than one, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and then, you know, uh, there was a meeting last week, uh, there was a beef meeting and it got Zoom bombed. Um, mm-hmm. So this week, um, I don't remember what the topic was, but it's going to be held a little different to be a little more secure. Um, but I know that you can access those by contacting, uh, our extension offices, uh, for, mm-hmm. um, passwords and how to get into those meetings. Yeah. Um, but Whitney, do you have who's host, who's hosting that? I think this? it is, a, Kevin Lawrence is tonight and then next week's, well, it will be, we're taping this on Tuesday. So it, there is one on Tuesday nights. It's every Tuesday night, but it's, I think Dr. Anderson's gonna, they're going to replay his and then. So his yeah, will his probably was be this week, and I think next week's Jeff Jeff Lim Cooler. So, okay. um, and it's on uh, recipe for profit for backgrounding and stalker enterprises. Okay, it sounds like a good recipe. Mm-hmm. That, that does. Mm-hmm. But if better you do than chocolate want... chip cookies, yeah. it might be better than Lee's famous. <laughs> <laughs> now, I would say though, if you are gonna do it, or if you're interested in those webinars, and they usually are pretty good, you just gotta let one of us know, or let Doctor Bullock know that you are interested in it because they have password protected it for Zoom bombing reasons. So, and something else to keep in mind in those, I think they're recording those, and you can mm-hmm. you can go back and watch them they later are. if it's something that interests you, or like if you hear us talking about one this week and you miss it by the time you listen to this you, you mm-hmm. should be able to go back and watch those yeah they did not record the last one though so or the first one <laughs> so they're gonna redo that one yeah so good quick, they didn't record it yeah, yeah from what i'm hearing <laughs> yeah. yeah rough so quick question here uh we're sitting here on our computers and mine keeps dinging how many uh unread emails do you all have on your on your outlook right now <sighs> i probably Serious? have unread yeah, unread. We're going with unread. Next to my inbox, it says 2347. So oh, I don't know. If, oh, really? I thought that was a lot. 5971. Oh, well, you've been oh. working here longer than I have. <laughs> I actually went through and cleaned out a lot of my email about a month ago. So I'm down to about 2400. But So we're close. We're about the same. Yeah. The thing about it is, is. I feel like we are so bombarded with the information that it is almost impossible to get out everything that we need. Does that make sense? And a whole lot of what mine is, is I get the same email 
from four or five different people. Yeah, like, hey, did yeah. you see this? Hey, yeah. did you mm-hmm. see this? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I yeah. did. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Which I appreciate that they're trying to keep us informed. Don't get me wrong. I mean, and this is not UK. This is just any sort of Everybody. email industry, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, sale. If you purchase something and they're going to send you an email about it, you know. So I just, whew, it's a lot to take in. So I bet if, 500 of them are COVID-19 responses <laughs> <from> probably <laughs> different entities. I know. So at this point, can't we all just realize that we're practicing what we're supposed to be doing? So we, we understand that you're doing it. So, and then worms. We need to talk oh, about yeah. worms. We do. So Kelly Yates at the Kentucky Sheep and Goat Development Office, they are trying to do some more Zoom and Zoom webinars for sheep and goat producers. So the one that she's got in, what's the name of it? It's the worm. Kentucky Worm, Kentucky worm Talk. Kentucky Worm Talk. Yeah. And it is the going to be on monday april 27th so and that's noon noon. so if you're in for lunch it's a really good time to talk about it and noon eastern time we should say Mm -hmm. we got to get our eastern times eastern time yeah i know odd man out but make sure that's a really good topic especially right now i know daniel and i were talking earlier we've had some worm issues this is getting into that prime time for it so now would be a good time to listen in Yep, and I think you can find that information on their Facebook page, and I'm I, th- yeah. I know we'll all probably share it on our pages um, mm-hmm. also. Matt, yeah. um, I don't know if he'll share a sheep program or not. We'll see. <laughs> I will now. Okay, you got to <laughs> now. Put you on the spot. Uh, well, and it looks like it's from University of Maryland. There's a mm-hmm. one of their uh, sh- sheep ruminant specialist and they have a really good program up there. So we share a lot of their information. So it'll be good. All right. right. So I'm always going to think after this episode, I'll, I'll never think Adam Andrews the same. I'm always going to picture him as Lane Frost with his cowboy (laughs) hat on (laughs) uh, just walking out of the arena and, (laughs) <laughs> and forgetting I, no, his bag I, did, I, did not know that about him i was gonna say i've known him a long time and i it's back from my industry days and that's uh, something that never came up surprisingly enough <laughs> so anybody turkey hunting i did one day i did sunday, sunday I, I don't turkey hunt so okay i no, don't, there's nothing I wrong don't with spend that. money on hunting oh i'm just not big well, on it we don't really spend money either a lot of my stuff to, is hand me down I go to football games in the fall and that's my hunting. (laughs) You know what? You and my husband would get along real well. I do most of the hunting and he's (laughs) this, which I love football too, but I'm, I will take him, my son most of the time. So, well, I think that's about all for this week. Y'all got anything else? Well, if you, everybody stay safe and healthy and let us know we're still open for business. So you can contact us if you have any questions and we will see you guys next week. Thanks. Thanks. All right. See y'all next week. Bye.